Well, good morning and blessings to each of you. Uh, it's been a blessing to be here already, and I have really enjoyed myself. I really appreciated hearing from your, what did you call it, Cedars of Um We are in the process of starting something in Coatesville for youth, so it's always interesting to hear. I would have loved to hear a whole lot more about it. But uh, maybe we can discuss that later. So blessings to you. Um, It is a privilege to be here. It's an honor to be invited to come, although there's a responsibility with it. And the last two verses that were read in devotional just really fit. Where he tells Timothy to pursue righteousness. So what does that look like to pursue righteousness? How do you pursue righteousness? What is righteousness? How does it come? Who is righteous? And that's... That's what the message is about today. Uh, The title of the message is Practical Righteousness and Its Benefits. Practical Righteousness and Its Benefits. And it's taken primarily from Proverbs 11. And I'm going to read the whole, do you call it chapter? What do you call Proverbs? They are a whole bunch of Proverbs, but I was intrigued. uh, So I always thought of Proverbs as chapter, chapter, chapter. I was looking through here, and chapter 10 starts as the Proverbs of Solomon. Well, what did we have before then? So, anyhow, uh, Proverbs 11. And there are a couple words we want to take notice. They are righteousness, they are upright, and justice. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then comes shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but the transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. When a wicked man dies, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perish. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked comes in his stead. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. But it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. He that is surety for his stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth suretyship is sure. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. The merciful man does good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. 
The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a great reward. As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. They that are of a froward spirit heart are an abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are his delight. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not go unpunished, but the seed of righteous shall be delivered. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is that scattereth and yet increases, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The the liberal soul shall be made fat, he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. But he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. But the righteous shall flourish as a branch. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. And the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed. In the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. And there's more we could get out of 10 and 12 on righteousness, but we'll stop there. I just want to introduce this as several months ago I was asked at our church to share on a Wednesday evening on righteousness. And I'm not a guy that likes topics. You tell me what chapter to study and that's where I'll go. But they told me righteousness. I said, well, whose righteousness? Mine, God's, the church. They said whoever. So I got the concordance out and I started looking at righteousness and I was drawn to Proverbs 11. But in the process of this, uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions here and they're not trick questions, but I'd like participation. How do you think your righteousness looks to the Lord? How does our righteousness look to the Lord? Anybody? Okay. Whoa. (laughs) Now what's the difference here? But you're right on track. Um, I have always said that my righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. Isaiah tells us that. He says here, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and all our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. There is none that calls on your name, none that stirs up himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have consumed us because of our iniquities. I'm going to go through several different ones in the Bible, what they say about righteousness, and then we'll come back and go over this. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness... Exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I believe the people in that day thought the scribes and Pharisees were righteous. They did all the right things. They kept, they kept the law by the letter of the law. They tithed. They did. They, they were the righteous people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.14 and 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And manifests through us the sweet smelling aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved 
and among those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate in these things? John said in 1 John 3, 7, little children, meaning young Christians, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And I'm, I really have to struggle to stay out of 1 John because I'm going through that down in Coatesville in my Friday morning meetings. And the righteousness there of the righteous, it's, to me it's an incredible study. So what is righteousness? How are we going to describe righteousness? One man says it's as filthy rags. The other one says it's a sweet-smelling savor. And we get that here. If your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is righteousness? Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. You're on the right track. It is, it is the robe of righteousness that Christ put on us. But what, how would we describe righteousness? What, what is the definition of righteousness? And I looked in the concordance, and righteousness is an act of doing what is in agreement with God's word. Okay, so it's all about works, right? There's also, there's another line here. Righteousness is a state of being in a right relationship with God. So if we put those two together, it is an act of doing what is in agreement with God's word while being in a state of a right relationship with God. That is righteousness. There's a couple other little descriptions here. I shouldn't call them little. They're shorter. It's what is right. It is justice. It's doing what is right. Now, we think of doing what is right. We think of unless your righteousness is better than that, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, what was missing with them? It was the state of being in a right relationship with God. That's what was missing. They were doing the righteous acts. So were their right, were their acts, their righteous acts, were they sweet smelling savor or filthy rags? They were filthy rags. So what does Isaiah mean when he says that all our righteousness are as filthy rags? Well, what he is saying in his application when he said that, the children of Israel were so far off from what God wanted them to be doing but they were still bringing their sacrifices faithfully on the altar while living in sin and living away from God and that stank that just simply stank that's where we get that so how did we get how did we go from filthy rags to sweet smelling savor to practicing righteousness and there's a way I can explain that, um, it's a song I just heard recently and it has really touched my heart. And I want you to listen to it. I'm going to read the first verse. This, name, this body once used God's name in vain. Now 
now speaks so differently since the day Jesus came. That little white church where the hypocrites spoke, they now look like saints as white as snow. What happened? What happened? Jesus came. That's what happened. Jesus came. It changed. Whoever wrote that from within. So what did Jesus say about doing righteousness? In Matthew 3.6 to John the Baptist, he said, when he asked John to baptize him, and John said, no, I would rather I'd be baptized from you. And I can understand John's point there. Jesus says, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And I think we can take that personally. It is fitting for us as people of God to fulfill all righteousness. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? No, it doesn't mean that. And yet we are called to fulfill. We are called to do these acts of righteousness. Will these acts of righteousness make us better people? That's a hard one. Because First John tells us those who do righteous, does he say become more righteous? Something like that. It's not quite that. Those who do righteous are righteous. I should just turn to it. Um, And I've been going through that. And and it almost sounds like those who do righteous, they grow in righteousness. And there's a sense where they do. As you practice righteousness, you do become more righteousness, but not because you practice righteousness. It's because you are doing God's will. That's why. It is not us pulling ourselves up by our own strength. But as we are obedient to practicing righteousness, God gives us the strength and he gives us what we need to become more righteousness. Now there are a couple things I'd like to look look at in Proverbs 11 here. How does a righteous man live? What does that look like? And we want to look at so what? What is it worth? What does it mean? What are the benefits of practicing righteousness? Again, back to practical righteousness and its benefits. I really struggled to find a title to fit this. My first one was the righteousness of the righteous and its effects. And it just sounds like a... But practical righteousness and its benefits. What does the word practical mean to you? Does it mean something? Practical is something you can do, right? When it's practical, it's something that, okay, it makes sense and it's something you can do. So we want to make it practical so we can follow it. Practical also has another uh, idea to it. And First John talks a lot about that. Uh, the King James Version doesn't use it as much, doesn't use it at all. I don't think that word, but the Greek has that meaning. It says, He who says he doesn't commit sin is a liar. It says, he who is righteous committeth no sin. Whoa. Now, how do we we pull that together? He who says he doesn't sin is a liar. He who commits 
He who says he, do, he who says he doesn't commit sin is a liar. And he who is righteous doesn't commit sin. Is anyone here who's not a sinner? I don't see any hands raised. The word the, the Greek uses there in the New American Standard uses the word practice. So what does it mean to practice something? And this is something I really want you to get. When you read 1 John, read that, and where it says, commit us, put the word in practice. Put the word in practice. So, who wants to venture? What does it mean to practice something? Okay, that's over and over. Yeah, those two. Um, there's another one. Becoming better at it. Okay? So, the definition, the description I like to use, and I've used this quite a few times. Um, where do you go when you cut your finger and you need stitches? To the doctor. Why? Why don't you come to me? I mean, really, why don't you come to me? You wouldn't want me to sew your finger? Why not? I have sewed my own finger, so I should be able to do it, right? But I don't practice it, okay? I wouldn't want to do it on anybody else. It hurts, especially when you don't have the right equipment. But just saying it, that's the idea of practicing, so you have that straight. When it says, he who is righteous committeth no sin, it means he doesn't practice sin. He who is righteous will, as we heard in that lesson, The parasites will bother him and they will eat at him. He will confess. He who is righteous will confess. So let's look now in Proverbs 11 here. How does a righteous man live according to Proverbs 11? In verse 1, and I'm going to use words that are not in here, but they're words that mean that. So in verse 1, he is honest. It says he uses a just weight. So a righteous man lives honestly. In verse 3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. So who are the them? So first off, the righteous man, he's known for his integrity. He lives with integrity. And he is a guide to other people by his integrity. In verse 2, I see I got these backwards. He is lowly, which means he's humble. The righteous man lives a humble life. What is a humble life? We could go many ways with that, but let's just keep the mind there. A righteous man is humble. I believe a righteous man can be humble and yet very wealthy. And I believe a man can be very poor and be extremely proud. So it really doesn't have anything to do with what your possessions are. It's the humbleness of the heart. In verse 12, he is a man of understanding. He holds his peace. He does not despise his neighbor. And I really had to think about that one. He is a man of understanding. He holds his peace. What does that have to do with righteousness? And I think it fits in the same way where it asks us 
it asks us as fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I believe that's the same thing it's saying here. A righteous man will hold his peace and not provoke his neighbor to anger. We can get caught in that very easily. And when I think of my neighbor, I think of my ungodly neighbors. But what about the neighbor being your brother and provoking him by what you do? A righteous man, he is a man of understanding. He holds his peace and he does not despise his neighbor. Verse 13, he is trustworthy. He doesn't reveal his brother's secrets. He is trustworthy. It says here, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. In verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. The righteous man who lives righteously, he is open to counsel. He recognizes there is safety in counsel. So what is the value of counsel? We do that all the time. Now, sometimes there are serious matters where we should take counsel and we don't because of our pride. But we do it all the time. Um, What do you think about going to Lebanon next week? That's counsel. What do you think about to your wife? Should we go visit school today and encourage the teachers? It's counsel. And a wise person is open to counsel. A righteous person will counsel and will counsel intentionally because he recognized that he doesn't have all the answers. In verse 16, it talks about a woman. A gracious woman retaineth honor and strong men retain riches. Now, we want to be a little careful with that. A gracious and good woman wins honor for her husband. And when we see strong men, that is not talking about strong men retaining the riches of God. It is talking about um, violent men winning riches. And it's giving a comparison there. But a righteous woman retains the honor of her husband And I believe that we can flip that around and say a righteous man honors his wife and brings honor upon her head. I believe we can say that. A righteous man brings honor upon his wife's head. In verse 17, he is merciful. The merciful man does good to his own soul. The righteous man is merciful. In verse, I'm sorry, that was verse 17. In verse 18, he sows righteousness. He doesn't just do righteousness for the sake of doing it. He, I'm not sure how I want to say this. But he does righteousness. He sows it. He, he does righteousness as he goes. He practices it. He doesn't just do righteousness now and then. He sows righteousness because he is looking forward to a harvest. And not just a harvest for himself. He's looking at his descendants. He's looking at the people after him. And he is sowing righteousness. In verse 25, he is generous. 
It says the liberal soul, meaning the generous soul, shall be made fat. The Amplified gives that the liberal person shall be enriched. And he who waters shall himself be watered. That's in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-10 talks about that. In verse 26, he shares his goods. In verse 27, he seeks good. And in verse 30, he wins souls. So in verse 27, he that diligently seeks good and procureth favor. So we could say he that is righteous diligently seeks good. And when it talks about those who. When he shares, when he sells his corn. Um. He's talking about someone who in a time of need, he doesn't just hoard it all. He shares it with his fellow men. And I'm going to have to share this. I remember when I was going to school, our teacher would at noontime, she would always read a story. And there was a story she read that showed this a little bit the opposite way. It was in the Laura Engels books. Can anybody tell me what that was? Go ahead. Can you tell me? Well, it was in the hard winter. And uh, they, they went pretty far away to somebody who did not want to sell it because he wanted to keep it for next year. Mm-hmm. But he convinced him to sell it. Mm-hmm. But it was somebody in town that would Yes. Yes. That was Almanzo. And he had a secret wall built and had his seed hidden there. But Laura Engel's father figured that out. And one day he went in there. He pulled the saddle off the hook. He found the plug. He got some corn or wheat. And he paid him for it. Little did Almanzo know that by allowing him to do that, he was providing for his future wife. Little did he know. Had he known that, he would probably have given it freely. But we have the idea there, and I thought of that this morning when I read that. Little did he know that that provided for his future wife's life that winter. If I remember right, Paul was allowed to go back again and get some more. And he paid it. But that, if Almanza would have been stingy with that and fought him off, he would have had a black name in that town. But because of this, He was blessed. In verse 30, he wins souls. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And I'd like to read the Amplified for you. Behold, the uncompromising righteous shall be recompensed on earth. How much... Whoops, I'm at verse 31. Verse 30. The fruit of the uncompromising righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures human lives For God, as a fisher of men, he gathers and receives them for eternity. Now we went through here on how does a righteous man live. Now I'd like to go back and ask these questions. So what? We know how a righteous man lives. So what? We can do that. These are all things we can purpose in our heart to do. But so what? Is it worth the effort? And what are the benefits of practicing this? We want to look at that. We'll go back to verse 2. 
the last part. But with the lowly is wisdom. Those who humble themselves gain wisdom. In James, he tells us, do you want wisdom? Ask the Lord. Do you think you can ask the Lord for wisdom and receive it with a proud heart? I don't think so. So the lowly, the humble, that's worth the effort. He will gain godly wisdom. In verse 4, He shall be delivered from death. The righteousness delivereth from death. So what about all the Christians that are being persecuted? Are they being delivered from death? Those who are being martyred, are they being delivered from death? Yes or no? But they're being killed. Into life. Thank you. They're being delivered from eternal death. The righteousness is delivering them from eternal death. And remember, we don't want to forget this. The righteousness that we have, that is a sweet-smelling savor to God, is that cloak of righteousness that Christ gave us. Through His blood at the cross, He clothed us with that robe of righteousness when we accepted Him. And God can look at you as a perfect, holy being. I can't understand it. There is my righteous child. There is my holy saint. Wait a minute. We cringe from greeting each other as saints. But if we are a child of God, we are His saints. Not because of who we are and what we did. Well, except for submitting. But not because of any work we did. It's because of who we are in Christ. And His robe cleanses us and covers us with righteousness. And the acts of righteousness that come out of that are a sweet-smelling savor to God and to the people around us. Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to acknowledge what we have? We have this. We're not waiting until we become better people. We have it now. We should use it. It's here. In verse 5, the righteous, his way shall be directed. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. Meaning his way shall be directed. He will not go through life aimlessly. He will have direction. Imagine what it would have been like for us to come from Gap this morning without any direction and try to find you. I wasn't sure where the fire hole was to start with, but I know this area and I... Uh, I knew they changed the road, and I, I have family living up here a generation or two away, and I spent many days up here in Lebanon in my youth uh, and in my business, so I know this area. I can't get lost up here. I might get confused, but I can't get lost. I can always find my way back because I've been all over these roads. Now, you get me on the other side of Meyerstown, the east town. East, uh, west side, it's a little different, but in this general area. Um, so... He won't go, you won't go through life aimlessly if you have this righteousness. In verse 6, there's three times it's delivered. Verse 4, he's delivered from death. Verse 6, it says how he's delivered from death. He is delivered by his righteousness. Not just happens to be delivered. It's by his righteousness he is delivered. 
in verse 8, it gives us what he's delivered from. He is delivered, well, it's another one. The first one we had was from death. He is delivered out of trouble. So, how are the righteous delivered out of trouble? Are there any righteous people here who don't have trouble? How are we delivered? We're delivered out of trouble. We could say a few ways, but one way is we recognize that we don't have to find our way out by ourselves. We have an advocate. We have Jesus. And we have his Father we can call upon. And we are delivered. That We might still have this challenge, this trouble, this problem, this whatever you want to call it. But we are delivered from this pressing weight that there's someone who knows all about it, who is in control, who knows why it's happening, who cares why it's happening, and it's usually in our best interest. And sometimes that hurts. I'm going through this trial, and I can't, I don't understand why I'm in this trial. But I recognize that this trial is probably a gift from God for my good. But God, why? Did you ever wonder that? God, why? Did you ever ask God to send you a trial? Anybody? I'm going to have to share this. Last summer, I was feeling cold in my devotion time. I I was just having a week where I just... And one morning I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I feel distant. And I know you didn't move. And I remember very distinctly, I prayed, Lord, if it's what it takes, send me whatever trial takes to draw me to you. But Lord, have mercy. Little did I know what was coming. Two weeks later it hit. But the beauty of it was, I didn't think about it until I was halfway through the trial. And then I rejoiced. Because the communionship I had with the Lord, when that happened, was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I got what I asked for. Not what I wanted. But I have been so blessed. That trial has turned over blessing after blessing after blessing. And that will be a whole story in itself. So when you feel distant, my advice is, Ask the Lord to send you a trial. But I think it's okay to ask for mercy. Because He is merciful. He does care. But He will deliver you from that trouble. Now this was a a business problem that came up with office staff and things just went totally crazy. And I thought we're going to lose all control. But what happened through that, what the Lord did in purging, I have been blessed over and over and over again. And I treasure those couple months when I was in the thick of it now, looking back, what it did. He delivered me out of that trouble. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't have, there weren't consequences I'm still working on, but he delivered me out of that trouble. In verse 9, another benefit of practicing righteousness, and these are the words I put together for verse 9, if we read it, um, But through knowledge shall the just be delivered. The just being righteous. He shall be delivered 
by the words of his mouth through knowledge. Okay, how, how can you be delivered by the words of your mouth through knowledge? The simple way I look at this is his words will not trap him. What did we hear this morning in children's class? You say a lie, you got to say another one, and you got to cover, and you got to cover, and after a bit, you're going to get trapped. But the words of the righteous will not trap him through the knowledge of God. Verse 10. When it goes well with those around, when it goes well with the righteous, those around him rejoice with him. Did you ever think about that? When the righteous are rejoicing about something, usually those around them rejoice with them. Because there's such a joy, it can't be contained. And those around you rejoice with you. So for those of you who are righteous, who have children who are walking righteously, and they get engaged to be married, have you ever experienced it where you rejoice and nobody rejoices with you? We're usually rejoicing with both the couple and their parents and their family. They rejoice. What would it be like? Just think for a moment. What would it be like if you would rejoice about something like that and nobody in your congregation would rejoice with you? Wouldn't you feel all alone? See, the righteous don't feel alone. They have that benefit. In verse 11, it says, By his blessing the city shall rejoice. Now, when I think of that, how by the blessing of the righteousness will the city rejoice? So, think of Lebanon. Is the city of Lebanon rejoicing because of your righteousness? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But when he wrote this, what he called a city was a village. And when a righteous man blessed the people, the people rejoiced. They had his favor. Think of Abraham, how he blessed people. The righteous man, the city rejoiced. In verse 16, a gracious or righteous woman brings honor to her husband. We did have that. But that's a benefit of living righteousness. Righteousness. In verse 17, he doeth himself good. His deeds return to bless him. You can bank on it. If you do a good deed, you will be blessed. You might not live to see that blessing. You might not Experience it outright, but God will bless you. Bank on it. He will bless you. So the righteous man, that's a benefit. In verse 18, he shall have a sure reward. What is a sure reward? It is permanent and it is satisfying. A reward that is permanent and satisfying. That's for those who practice righteousness. In verse 19, to me, this is the top. He attains eternal life. The righteous who practice righteousness attain eternal life. Is there anything greater? Is there anything better that you can think of that you could gain by living a righteous life? I ask the question, is it worth it? Yes. Yes, it is worth it.
But there's one, the next one in verse 21. Um, ranks just as high to me. It says, His seed shall be delivered. His seed, His children shall be delivered. Now that does not guarantee that every righteous man or his children will receive eternal life. But His children will receive a blessing that no other children do. His children shall be delivered And maybe it's just delivered from some of the problems of life. I enjoy going to prison. And the stories you hear of inmates. If only I could have had a relationship with my father. If only I would have had a father that took me to church. If only I would have known about Jesus when I was a young child. The children of the righteous will be delivered. At the very least, they will be delivered from this single parent home, this broken home. This, the, the biggest problem in our society today is broken homes. Would you agree with me? Amen. And a righteous, the children of a righteous man will not live in a broken home. That's the biggest problem eliminated. His seed shall be delivered. And that should be sobering to us as fathers. That should be very sobering. Verse 24, even while giving generously, he will experience increase. That is so backwards. When you give, 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 you will experience increase. Usually it's when you give, 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 you have less, less, less. But giving righteousness generously will increase your storehouse. There's a vast supply. In verse 28, he shall flourish like a green branch. It just says like a branch. The Amplified gives green branch or like a green leaf. So we look out at the trees now, and there's not too much flourishing on those trees now. But when that sap comes up and the warm weather comes and the leaves start blooming, and and it gives shade, it, it does all kinds of things. And that's how a righteous man's righteousness does. He will flourish like a green leaf, like a green tree. In verse 29, He shall be master over the foolish. I'd never picked that up before. The way of the Lord is the strength to the upright, but the destruction shall be to the... um, I've got something wrong here. The destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. I guess I got that out of the Amplified, that the foolish... That the wise, the righteous, will be master over the foolish. Well, how will they be a master? That one's a little hard to get into. But righteous people have something over the fools naturally. They just do. The fools, they, in, in one area, they spend all their money. They need to go somewhere. They need help. They need help for their families. They need help for, they become servants To the righteous. Not as we think master and servant. But they become servants. In verse 30. His fruit is a tree of life. Again we talked about that. It is life. In verse 31. He shall be recompensed on earth. God will repay in ways we cannot understand. So I ask. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? 
Now I have one more question. Is our righteousness something we can trust in? Can we trust in our righteousness? That it will take us all the way home. Depends how you look at it. If you call my righteousness, Jesus' righteousness on me, then yes. But if we talk about my righteousness, we're going to go to what the Bible says. Ezekiel says, Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, he is trusting in his righteousness, but he is deliberately doing injustice. I don't know how a righteous man can do that. I think Ezekiel is just giving it as a warning and as a maybe showing them how unrighteous they are. I don't know because in Ezekiel's time, it was going haywire. So he says, though I say, and let me just add on to that. In Ezekiel's time, they were still bringing the sacrifice to the altar in the name of righteousness. Okay? They were doing that in the name of righteousness. And Ezekiel says, Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. The part that troubles me here is, he says, though I say to the righteous. Does Ezekiel mean he is saying it to truly righteous people or to those who think they are righteous? I don't know. But it is a warning for us. If in our righteousness, in the righteousness of Christ, we are living with Christ, Christ within us, we are righteous and we deliberately do an injustice. I believe that happens. But if he lives in that, repentance is what comes in. Remember, he who committeth no sin shall not receive eternal life. It's he who practices sin shall not experience eternal life. So what does all this mean to you? And I go back when I think of this. Righteousness is the act. There's a work. You're not saved by your works. You're not made righteous by your works. But righteousness is an act of doing what is in agreement with God's word. And it is the state of being in a right relationship with God. I think most of these righteous acts we looked at can be done by people who are not saved. With the exception of the humility one. I'm not sure about that one. It can be a, a, a look of humility. And yet there are times where unrighteous people can be humble in certain situations. So it, it really boils down to the acts of righteousness that you do in agreement with God's word, if they are not done in the state of being in a right relationship with God, they are as filthy rags. But if these acts of doing what is in agreement with God's word are done 
in the state of being in a right relationship with God, they are a sweet-smelling savor. That is what I would like to bless you with and encourage you. Never underestimate what your righteous acts can accomplish when they are done in humility, in the name of God, for His purpose. We get caught in trying to do acts so that we look good. Right? No? You don't have that problem? I remember an instant for me, instance for me, and this was years ago. I was with the fire company, and I was young in the ministry in the Amish church, and we had an older, our lead minister. Um, he didn't like it that I ran with the fire company. He thought I should stop. <clears throat> it's too worldly. Well, very shortly after that, on the home farm, he was retired. Their big, used to be chicken house, was now equipment shed shop, burned down. I was there on the scene fighting the fire. And, um, but I was really busy at work, and I didn't go help re- rebuild. It wasn't quite one of my skills, and as busy as I was. And, and he made the comment, I didn't see you there helping to rebuild any time. And I thought, yes, but I was there fighting the fire. Fortunately, I didn't say it, but I justified myself. Yes, but I was there fighting the fire. I was justifying myself. Was that a righteous act to fight the fire? Yes. Was it an unrighteous act to not go help? No. Not in and of itself. But if I wanted to show him that, but I was there, but I did this, then I was trying to justify myself. I don't have to justify. You don't have to justify yourself. Let the Lord justify you. Do the acts of righteousness in a right relationship with God. God will justify you and He will bless you. In closing, I would just like to read what I read this morning. And I I don't know. Some days things just hit you. And this was a blessing that God told Moses to bless the people with. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and his peace. And that is what I wish to you. God bless you.